sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. So I'm delighted today to be talking with Melanie Sherwood. Melanie has had a long career in working with young children who have language disorders. And I'm gonna ask her to start by telling us a little bit about what she's learned over her career. Well, um, the, re the reason I love working with language in young children, I guess is what I've learned, is that it's so multi-dimensional. Um, it looks so different as you work with different client groups and different age groups. You could be crawling about on the floor, you could be sitting at the table, you could be sitting at a desk, uh, you could be playing with drawers, you could be reading a book. It looks so different and it feels so different. Um, and there's so much to learn. Um, when I graduated, which was uh, years ago, um, <laughs> it was um, language was grammar. So your goal in language therapy was to say, get the child to say longer sentences. So they said one word, then they had to say two words, then they had to say three words. And of course, we now know that there are many more facets to it than that. And um, that's what I found so enjoyable is finding, discovering the facets and then discovering how to help children um, express meaning and to engage um, in an interactive way uh, to talk. So I'm aware that you've used a particular tool in order to address all those facets. Perhaps you'd like to talk a little bit about that now. Yeah, that was a great thing that happened to me a long time ago was um, in a postgraduate course I was doing, I discovered this work that had been done. Um, I didn't discover it, I should say. It became available to me. I discovered it for myself. Um, uh, and it was the, 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 it's called Blaze, the Bristol Language Development Survey, which was done, you know, several decades ago. But it was so enormous in what, what we found out about language. Um, First of all, there was a large number of children involved, 120. Uh, secondly, it was a longitudinal study um, over that took two years. Um, and thirdly, it was a natural, it, the, the data was collected in natural, naturalistic situations from the children's homes. So bits of conversation between children and between their parent was collected and transcribed. So it was a huge study and it took up masses and masses of time and cost lots and lots of money. And it's never been replicated as far as I know, um, but this just helped us understand how um, language unfolds, not just the length of the utterance, but semantics, which I, when I graduated, was an extremely grey area. Um, it's helped to sort of clarify um, as the aspects of semantics and pragmatics a bit more, a lot more, I should say. Um, and um, so what I have tried to do is use the information from that to make a framework to hang language on because it's so multi-dimensional. You can end up, when you're working with a child, not having a clear idea about what you're trying to achieve. Um, and if, 
it goes wrong, what do you do? Um, so language is so tied up with interaction and thinking and your being as a person, your personality. Um, you have to know pretty much, think on your feet and, and react. And, and um, uh, that's what I think that, that the, the, the Blaze framework has helped me do. Mm. And that's a challenge, but also one of the delights of our profession, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I just love working in therapy. I've just done that all my life, all my working life. And um, it's given me so much enjoyment and hard work and knocking my head against the wall and all of those things. <laughs> so when you're knocking your head against the wall, what helps you to work things out? Um, what is this child thinking? And if I'm not sure, I might say it. You don't want to do this. Uh, you don't like this, it's too slimy. I try, try to use my knowledge of the child to say what they're thinking. When you say what you're thinking, it immediately eases the situation. Um, and when you say what you're thinking, it's not the length of the utterance you say that's important. It's the vocabulary that you use. And so um, I see semantics as the foundation of, of language. Um, so the two most important things to start off with in the first three years of children's lives is interaction and semantics and the grammar gets built on top of that. Indeed, indeed. Blades is a very complex framework. I'm just wondering whether you have any tips for letting parents know about this. Yeah. Um, well, when um, one of the best workshops I did, which was also a long time ago, but just stays in, you know, sometimes you do a workshop that just stays in your memory. Mm. It was Marion Blank's workshop. Um, on language and she said this thing that really helped me and it was this when you're working on language you are clarifying the meaning of words um, not just words but grammatical constructs as well what do they actually mean to the child what, how can you convey that meaning so that's what I say to to parents this is what I'm doing I'm trying to make that meaning clear using the toys or using the activity or using pictures, using my tone of voice, using my facial expression to try and convey meaning to the child and, and see how that goes. Do you find that parents take that and use that in their own interactions with the child? With support, yes. Of course, it depends. We have to adapt that for each client group, whether the child has autism or developmental language delay or CAS or whatever the issue is we need to be able to adapt a framework of language to that particular client group and that particular child and that particular parent. That's what's so, so challenging about it. Yes, indeed, indeed. And you've presented workshops on blades and working in language therapy with young children over a number of years. What are the main things you try to get across in those workshops? Um, language is used to express your thoughts and feelings. Language is used to express your emotions. Language is used to form bonds with other people. Those things. <laughs> Those things. Yeah. Because I'm working, um, the, the, the area that I love to work with the most, and is also incidentally the reason I have arthritic knees, um, <laughs> is, is that I love to work with younger children. I love them to say their first word. I love to help them with their sentence development um, rather than the uh, language for learning uh, that occurs later. So those are the things that I feel are important with that age group. 
So I'm guessing you'll be watching very carefully the language development in your grandchild. Absolutely. He's bilingual, incidentally, as well, which is doubly... Oh, fantastic. He's going to be bilingual. He's only one at the moment, so he's not talking much. But yeah, no, really... lucky child, lucky child. Yes. Yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to tell us about working with very young children? Um, well, one of the things that I... I'm really interested in is the links between um, language domains, like, um, for example, how meanings are linked, for example, the quest when you're looking at early development, words like where, prepositions in, on, off, under, verbs like go, they're all linked together um, in the same meaning of location and movement. And words like want, desire, word, um, like, emotional reaction word, and feeling words like happy September's get, they're all linked together in the same area of meaning about people's internal states, like knowing your own internal state and other people's internal states. So I'm really interested in how these things are linked together um, and how they unfold in young children. Also the interest, the, the relationships between um, semantics and grammar, you know, for example, if the verb takes up a long time to do, like eat or sleep, they're the verbs that children mostly learn to put the progressive, present progressive ing on the end. Words that take up a little bit of time, like jump, they're the most likely to be first to learn to put the ed on the end. Um, those kind of links are really fascinating and quite helpful to think about. That's really interesting. I've never thought about that sort of relationship at all. Uh -huh. So I love the fact that you can always learn something new in our profession. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But when you do learn something new in language, there are so many journals coming out about language development and language therapy. There's like over 100. Um, you need a framework to hang it on. So you can't just read the latest bit of evidence research and think, oh, I'll do that, unless you have a framework of where to put it. Because if you don't do that, if it goes wrong, if it goes fine, that's fine. But if it doesn't work, you have to know what to do. Like, do I persist with this? Mm. Do I tweak it in some way? Um, and having a framework and an idea in your mind about what you're trying to achieve, the clarity there will help you. Indeed, indeed. So it's the evidence base being the external scientific evidence, the paper. <laughs> that are coming out in the journals, but a theoretical underpinning combined with your clinical expertise, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lovely to talk you to you today, Melanie. Right. Thank you so yeah. much. Okay, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.